Good morning and welcome to our online service. I'm Chaplain Amy Bauman with For His Glory Ministry, and we're so glad that you're choosing to join us today. We come together every Sunday as a body of believers to worship our Lord, renew our mind, and unify our faith all over the globe. The church coming together and coming alive. Our mission is to feed the world with word and deed. And we're doing that on many different social media platforms right now with encouraging daily devotionals, programs like this, Truth in the Streets, our Tuesday teachings, The Chair. We're also walking alongside those that need Jesus, helping them with food, water, Bibles, ways that they can grow their relationship with the Lord and feel His presence in a real and tangible way. If you would like to partner with Forest Glory Ministry, there are two ways that you can do that. You can securely donate online by going to our website, amybauman.com, and clicking on the donate page. You can also send your gift to For His Glory Ministry, P.O. Box 15, Hamilton, Michigan, 49419. Our prayer today is that you will find this place a place that you belong that you will believe in God's truth, that it will help you start this next week, and that you will feel the love of Jesus. We are so glad that you're here. Do your story my fingerprint in the valley there is confidence in the shadow I will be your strength one thing's for sure I am your Look around 
Good morning and welcome to our online service. I'm Chaplain Amy Bauman and I'm so excited that we get to come together once again this Sunday as a body of believers all over the world to unify our faith, to renew our minds, and to become more like Jesus. And we are intentionally doing that this month of August as we're looking at the book of James. We're going to unpack that here in just a minute, but before we get started, let's open with prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And I thank you for your word, that we can seek your truth, that we can understand your promises, that we can understand the, the path that you would like us to be on, Lord, so that we can live out our faith as a body of believers, as the church. So I just pray now that you will open up our hearts and our minds, that you will speak clearly to us, Lord, that you will anoint me with the Holy Spirit so that I will speak your truth with love. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you, Lord, for everything that you are going to do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you joined us last week, we started a brand new series uh, looking at the book of James. And last week we unpacked chapter one. We talked a little bit about who James was and uh, what it said in chapter one. So just to recap that, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And he starts off by greeting the 12 tribes as the bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's not proclaiming that he is Jesus' half-brother. He's proclaiming that he is a slave to Christ. And a lot of people have said, um, different people that have observed the text and, and researched, is that James was there at the Sermon of the Mount, that he was uh, following Jesus. And a lot of what James is saying in this book is kind of parallel to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teachings. So we're, we've looked at the, the Sermon on the Mount a couple weeks ago, and now we're unpacking James and understanding the truth that we need to be living out, not just by saying this is what we believe, but by actually living that out day to day. And so if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to James. We're going to be looking at chapter 2 today and understanding there's really two different teaching points here, two different things that we need to be looking at. One is, uh, James is saying, beware of personal favoritism. And then number two, he is saying, faith without works is dead. So let's look at that very first part of uh, chapter two, beware of personal favoritism. And we're going to start right in verse one. And I'm reading today from the uh, New King James Version of, of the translation. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
right out of the gate, James is telling us, do not have partiality, especially if you are saying that Jesus is your Lord. And so to unpack that, to show partiality shows that we care more for the outward appearance than we do upon the heart. For the Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. So right away he's asking us to um, look at how we feel about partiality and are we doing that to our neighbors. Now, if you want to think back during this time period, there probably was two classes of people. We didn't have the low income, the below poverty, the middle class, the um, rich, the absurdly rich. I mean, it, it wasn't labeled out that way. You probably had just the poor people and the rich people. And what he's asking us to do right away and what he's asking the reader of that time to understand is this, these are your choices, right? Do not treat the poor man differently because he's poor and do not treat the rich man differently because he's rich. We have many different categories of people nowadays. So as we're reading James today to apply to this world, what are some different ways that we can look at this, not just rich and poor, but where are we showing partiality or where are we judging someone based on their appearances? Now, nowadays, there's such a demonstration of individualism and how can we be different? So you see uh, different color hair, purposefully different colored hair, different clothing styles, um, different trends, different things with their body, tattoos, piercings. Um, you see lots of different ways that you could judge someone based on their appearance. So that's just the physical part. Then, then what about um, health-wise? What about the ways that we distance ourselves from people that, that may be sick, that uh, may have diseases, um, maybe they have we come, we come upon them on the street and they're homeless and they haven't been able to shower and they uh, are wearing lots of layers of clothing because they're trying to keep warm. And so how are we judging someone based on physical appearance um, in, in the many different ways that people are showing their individuality? There is, in my Bible here, there is a just a thought-provoking story that I would like to read. It starts out, Grant's church was beginning a ministry to people suffering from AIDS. At the initial planning session, an expert on this type of ministry was going to present to speak to the group about the do's and don'ts of such a task. The catch was that the person who was coming had AIDS. As he drove to the meeting, Grant struggled with what his response would be. How should I address this individual? Would I shake hands with this person? Would I sit next to him? 
Would I pry into his lifestyle, demanding to know how he contracted the disease? How would I react if he volunteered that information? Is this a ministry that I should be involved in personally? These questions and countless others were swirling through his mind. As he pondered these issues, he was reminded of James 2.1 and the fact that favoritism is sin. The issue is not whether the distinction is made over economic, social, educational, physical, spiritual, or health concerns or differences. The issue is that our motives for making the distinction are immediately called into question because favoritism is sin. This is what James is addressing. And while at this time he was trying to give examples to people that they would basically understand, meaning the rich and the poor, there are so many other areas today in this world that we could show favoritism, that we could be blocking a person because they look differently, because they have a different social class, because of their ethnicity, because of their beliefs, because of how they react in this world because of their health. So many different ways that we could segregate ourselves from that person based on those things. And what James is saying is that favoritism is sin. I was happy to read this about this conference and dealing with AIDS because it felt like several years ago in the 80s and 90s when, when this disease flourished and there was so much talk on the news and there was so many different ways to interact and how do you interact and how do you deal with someone that has AIDS and how do you, could you contract it and we're back, it feels, into that same tenseness, the struggle with COVID-19. And while I don't want to camp there, there have been a lot of things that have come up on the news, socially, in conversations regarding whether or not you get the vaccine. And if there is someone that doesn't have the vaccine, do you still interact with them? Do you stay their friend? Do you shun them? What if this person has the vaccine but still got sick? What do I do in this situation? What do I do in this situation? And it comes back down to the point where there's one more thing that we have to be looking at that, that could change the way we believe in someone, think about someone, love on someone, whether or not they're wearing a mask, whether or not they have the vaccine, whether or not they've had COVID. And it feels like Spiritually, this is one more thing that the enemy can come in and divide people, divide believers, divide humanity. And we're standing on one side of the line or the other. Do you have this or do you have this? And if you do, I'm not going to interact with you. And if you don't, I'm not going to interact with you. This is a very real thing in society today. And we have to ask ourselves, do we care more about the outward appearance, whether that is what they're wearing or how they're doing their hair or um, what their life looks like, the struggles they've been through, the addictions they've had, 
their finances? Or are we looking at the heart of a man? Are we believing that all of us are created equal? All of us are without sin. All of us are one paycheck away from living on the streets. All of us need to look at our hearts and see if we are showing favoritism, if we are judging those around us based on what we think and how we view them. If we drop down to verse 8, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak as, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus, Jesus came and gave all of us that forgiveness. And so forgiveness is not just about forgiving someone, but by not judging them for their actions, the way they look, their financial status, their health status. And what James is saying here is that you can't do one. You can't say, I believe in God, yet I am going to show favoritism to this person because of who they are and what they've done. We can't do that because we're not accepting all of the, the guidelines, the laws, the truth of what God is saying to us. We have to be able to know his word and not only love our neighbor as ourself, but love them in spite of their situations, in spite of the way they look, how they dress, their financial status, their health, all of those things. And James, as we drop down further and we start to talk about faith without works is dead, He's reiterating the same thing, right? He's saying, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man? Do you want to know? Do you want to know God's truth? You can't just say that you believe in God and not follow his word and not live it out because even the demons believe in God. James is cutting right to the point and saying, listen, just because you claim to believe in God doesn't mean that you are a true follower because even the demons believe and they tremble. How are you putting feet to God's truth? How are you living out 
your everyday life following God's word. And he says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone has, says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do you not, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? I love that James starts off by just talking about this visual favoritism, right? This visual imagery of, of maybe not liking or loving someone at a distance because of how they look. You know, so the rich man came in and he said, oh, come and sit here. And the poor man came in and said, oh, uh, go stand over there. We don't really want you near our table. There's, there's this physical distance, right, that we're doing. And we're, we're judging and viewing and looking at things from a distance. But now James is inviting us to come in a little bit closer. He's saying, you can't just say, I believe in God and I see your situation and I'm going to pray for you. James is inviting us to invite this person into our personal space to not only see that they are in trouble, but to help them. And he's saying, you can have faith, but faith without works, without actually doing something about this person that you are taking in and noticing, well then, faith without works is dead. And that's where he goes on to say, look at even the enemy believes in God. What are you going to do with your beliefs? Are you going to put feet to it? Are you going to help your neighbor? Are you going to help that person that's struggling, that stranger that you see on the street? What are you going to do? And he, he goes on to say, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by his works, faith was made perfect. Faith, when we think about it, and we've talked about this in the past, we're each given a measure of faith. All of us, each of us are given that. But then we need to grow that. We need to spend time in God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to believe in God's promises and apply those to our life and renew our minds so that we can become more and more and more like Jesus. So that our faith grows and grows and grows and grows until it is all encompassing, till it's coming out of our pores, till we just truly believe and know who we are in Christ and what God's word says. And then if you look at the, the full armor of God and that shield of faith, that shield of faith can be really, really large and can shield us from the fiery darts of the enemy because we have this really big shield of faith. What James is telling us is, is faith is an action word. Faith, just by saying that you believe is not enough, that you need to have the works to back it up. And so to have faith means we're going to step out and take action. 
we are going to take a step forward and do something with our faith. We're going to activate our faith. We're going to activate that faith and put it to action. And James goes on to reference Abraham and how Abraham believed in God. Abraham believed that God promised him a son. And Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son. Even though God promised he was going to give him a son, Abraham talked that away. Abraham knew that that was his promise and that through his son, the, there would be this number of descendants that would outnumber the stars and outnumber the, the sand on the shore. And Abraham knew that, but then God came to him and said, I would like you to sacrifice your son Isaac. So what does Abraham do? He doesn't just go, oh no, Lord, you promised me that through Isaac, I would have generation after generation after generation of people. And so, no, I'm not going to sacrifice Isaac. No, Abraham walked up the mountain taking Isaac and he put him on top of the altar and he raised his dagger and he walked out his faith because he knew even in raising that dagger that the Lord would provide. The Lord would come through and bring the offering that was truly going to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. Abraham walked out his faith and was obedient. And then that's what James is saying that we need to do today. We need to have faith, but we need to have the works. We need to be able to, to put it out there and activate our faith. What are some marks of saving faith? What are some ways that show faith in action? It is faith that looks not to self, but to Jesus Christ. It is faith that agrees with God's word, both inwardly and with words. It is faith that in itself is not a work, that deserves reward from God. In the sense, it is simply refusing to think that God is a liar. It is in itself not a good work, simply the absence of a sinful work. I'm not having faith just by saying, no, God, God's not a liar. I believe in God's word. It's actually taking that word and putting it in our hearts and walking it out each day. It is faith grounded in what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb, knowing that we are forgiven, that we have everlasting life, that we are no longer separated from the Father, but we can go to him through the Son. That is faith. It is faith that will naturally be expressed in repentance and good works. It is faith that may sometimes doubt. We all doubt. Yet, 
the doubts that we might have in the flesh are not bigger than the faith, nor are they more permanent than the faith. And I love this. You spell doubt with D-O-U-B-T. That D-O in the beginning is do. And if, if we don't doubt, we need to do. We need to step out and do. We need to activate the faith. We need to press on and believe in God's promises, even though the world looks the way that it does right now. Even though every where you turn, there's fear and insecurity and challenges. Even though it seems like we're losing a battle as believers, we step out each day believing that God is God, that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and we know how this story ends. It is faith that wants others to come to the same faith. My friends, we have all been commissioned. We have all been called to share the gospel, to share our faith. And we cannot do that by keeping people at an arm's length and judging them by their appearance, by what they wear, by how they do their hair, by whether or not they're wearing a mask, by what their bank account says. We have to bring the people in, love on them, love on them where they are at, and that is how we share the faith. And finally, it is faith that not only hears the Word of God, that hears the Word of God like what we're doing right now, meditating on James, but does what it says. We can't just say we believe in God like the demons do. We actually have to step out in faith and show that we believe in God by our actions. And I love how James gets right to the point. And this chapter only talks about two things, but what are you doing in your life right now with those two things? Just two. Is it working for you, how you're currently handling favoritism in the world? And are you putting your faith into action? This is why we don't just read things to read them and say, oh yeah, I've read the whole Bible. It's important that we not only read the Bible but that we understand what it says and we put it to work. We step out in faith each day, loving our neighbor as ourself and showing people what that looks like. We're Jesus with flesh on. We're Jesus every day, smiling, loving on people, helping sharing our resources, holding their hand. This is how we are to live in this world. And this is how we bring heaven to earth and we grow the kingdom of God until he comes again. 
Let's pray. Father God, we all agree, Lord, that this is a challenging world and it's hard right now to navigate while we're here. It's hard to navigate the brokenness and, and what's happening in this world, but we declare today and believe as one body of believers that you are greater, that you are stronger, that you win, that, that you have set us aside, Lord, to be your church, and that it's not easy, but you, Lord, living inside of us can equip us and prepare us and strengthen us so that we can activate our faith, so that we can put feet to it, so that we can love our neighbor as ourself, so that we can show people and help people and love on them no matter where they are at in their life, Lord, rich, poor, weak, strong, sick, healthy. We can do that, Lord, because of you. And so we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your truth. And we just ask, Lord, that you will forgive us for the times where we did show favoritism, where we did send people off with a prayer. We just ask that you will now help us to uh, love people right where they are and, and help them, Lord, and, and be your hands and feet. And Lord, we just pray for all of those that are struggling right now that don't have the strength to, to help someone else because they are trying to help themselves. And we just pray that you will equip them, that you will help them, that you'll provide for them, that you will heal them, that you will love them, Lord, that they will feel that today in a real and tangible way, whatever their situation. And we stand as a body of believers and cancel the plans of the enemy in Jesus' name. He is not allowed to manifest in our lives. He is not allowed to manifest in our families. He is not allowed to manifest in our health. He is not allowed to manifest in our finances, Lord. He is to bow his knee to you. And we just thank you, Lord, that we have that dominion and authority and that power because of you to do that, Lord, to operate in this world, to be peacemakers. And we claim that peace for ourselves today, that there is nothing missing and nothing broken in our lives. We just ask that you be with each person watching, each person listening, and that you will help them as they move forward into this next week. No matter what they need, Lord, we're confident that you will be there, Jehovah Jireh, that you will provide for them, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget that we will be looking at James the rest of this month. So if you wanted to read ahead for next week so that you'll have a better understanding of what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about the untamable tongue. You are not going to want to miss it. And until next time, until we can be together again, be blessed.